Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie. And on this episode, we are doing the 51st Best Picture winner, The Deer Hunter. It is a 1978 American epic war drama, not the first war drama we've done, but the first Vietnam war drama we've done, which I feel like is a bit of a milestone. It was co-written and directed by Michael Cimino and is about a group of childhood friends whose lives are changed forever by the Vietnam War. It stars Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, and John Savage. And also, she was supporting, so it's technically not starring, but she absolutely steals every scene she's in, a young Meryl Streep. I think this was like her second feature film or something. Yeah, and I was reading she was even like such a minimal role in the film that she was like encouraged to write some of her own lines in development, which I, I kind of love. So anyway, I think she was great. Yes, well, we'll talk later about her, De Niro, and Walken in particular. This movie was based in part on an unproduced screenplay called The Man Who Came to Play that was about Russian roulette in Vegas. Uh, This is a good time to go ahead and say before people get honestly any further into this episode, this is a rough movie and we will be talking about some rough stuff. So no, that's in addition to just it being about the Vietnam War. So yes, which already (laughs) signifies probably going to be a rough movie, but this is like an extra rough movie. Yes. So those scenes like the the whole Russian roulette through line in scenes really kind of come from that original source material, which I want to talk about later. But that kind of vindicates something I said when we were watching it. I felt like I was watching two different movies some of the time. Totally agree. And I, I feel like that may be why. We'll get more and more into that, though, as we go along. I mentioned it is our first Vietnam film. And while this wasn't obviously the first film about the Vietnam War conflict, it was among some of the earliest ones to be set during that conflict and to really deal openly with that conflict and Mm -hmm. the physical and psychological and emotional trauma that it created for obviously the people who were over there, but also just, I think, to American society in general. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the... It was pretty controversial at the time for various reasons. We'll get more into it, but uh, partially for being critical of American involvement in Vietnam, which we've talked a lot with our World War II films. And while I think the ones that we've covered as part of this podcast that were Best Picture winners tend to be less of the pure propaganda, rah-rah glamorizing of war that I think people often associate with war films, but particularly World War II films, most of them weren't really critical of like American involvement in the war. It was more of like a, this is a horrible thing that we have to do. Vietnam films take a very different tone by and large as reflective of like how most people felt about the Vietnam War. And I think kind of how like history has come to frame that conflict as well. I would totally agree. And I mean, there's some very specific scenes that I think you get a very critical eye around exactly what's going on in the scene and the violence there. And it is like it's gory, but I would still argue that it does rise to the level of commentary on the conflict. Um, and it's yeah. definitely not nearly as uh, supportive as you would see from some of the the earlier films um, in the World War One and Two era. Agreed. Definitely agreed. And this is only three years after the war ended. So like the war official, officially ended in 75. This is three years later. Like people are still f- feeling the trauma and also a lot more information is coming out about the war and like some of the sort of 
proxy conflicts mm-hmm. that were happening in relation to it. So like people are learning more and more and they're getting more and more critical of it in general. So this film, I think, kind of reflects that. I'm just going to go through awards and nominees and then uh, the other nominations really quickly because I can I feel like we're gearing up to just like dive in. And there is quite a bit to talk about, I think, with this one. So it was nominated for quite a few things and it won several. Uh, Michael Cimino won for Best Director. Robert De Niro was nominated for Best Actor but did not win Best Actor. And I am very, very supportive of his nomination. I thought he was fantastic. This movie actually is, we were sitting down to watch it. I was like, you know what? Robert De Niro, officially one of my favorite actors of all time. I would fully agree. I I honestly think the layers that he brought to his performance and especially his chemistry with Meryl Streep, like super good. Yeah. Um, he lost to John Voight for coming home, which I think was actually another Vietnam film. Yeah, it was. So uh, dealing with very similar um, issues. Christopher Walken won for Best Supporting Actor, mm. which I'm I'm good with. I I think Christopher Walken, and you, you've put it pretty well, where sometimes I worry he's been reduced to a caricature of himself, but I think he's a really great actor. And he's, this, he's great. you definitely see it. Yeah, he's great. I think there were a couple things done with the character of Nick later in the film that I didn't like, but it was never Walken's performance. It was it was the writing. So mm-hmm. I think I think he did so good, and especially at the beginning, he was really really good. Meryl Streep was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, but did not win. She lost to Maggie Smith for California Suite. Oh, it's Maggie Smith. I know. I was I, about I just... to be really upset, and then I was like, "But it is Maggie Smith." It was nominated for Best Screenplay, but didn't win. It was nominated for Best Photography, but didn't or Cinematography, but didn't win. Although I thought the cinematography was Chef's Kiss. Completely, completely with you on that. Even if I didn't appreciate what was being depicted, it certainly was depicted well. <laughs> yeah, it won for Best Editing, which I half agree with and half disagree with because some of the editing I was like, "This is brilliant," and some of the editing I was like. This is not as brilliant, <laughs> but I think it was more to do with the writing. I really do think when I, the ish, the parts when I was like, eh, I don't like the jump that they made with this editing. I don't think it was necessarily the technicalness, like the technicality of the editing. I think it was what was in the script. Totally fair. I think I know which one you're, which spot you're talking about, and it is quite a jarring shift that I am yes. sure was narrative, not due to the editing. Yes. Um, And it also won for Best Sound, which I I definitely understand why. Mm -hmm. It also appeared on several AFI lists. So it's on, it was number 79 on AFI's top 100, and then shifted up to number 53 on the revised 10th anniversary list. Um, And it is number 30 on AFI's 100 Thrills. Other nominees from that year, Coming Home, Heaven Can Wait, Midnight Express, and An Unmarried Woman. I have seen none of those uh same i mean not that we were surprised if you've need seen none of them then i probably have not seen any of them in fact if i could see negative ones anyway (laughs) we're we're starting to get to the point in like film history and oscars history where you're gonna start having seen more of them than i will have i always joke that if the movie came out before i was born there's a better chance i've seen it than if it came out after i was born and with me, it's just a crapshoot. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's just go straight into watch notes, Ian. 
I like it. So I pretty much the entire first third of this movie really focuses in on this community outside of Pittsburgh, Steel Town, and their preparation, and then finally the wedding between Stephen and Angela. So I wait, think wait. it's an you mean the 51 minute long wedding scene? Well, I mean, I did say it was the first third of the three hour movie. <laughs> I I was like, oh, somebody watched The Godfather. <laughs> oh, my. It's and I, here's the thing. I, I don't have too specific of a note about how I felt about it being that long. Other than I, I feel like a, some of the fat could have been trimmed. Agreed. Like it was a little bit indulgent in some of this stuff. But there are some in. beautiful moments. Totally agree. Yeah, and I, the way it actually starts is it's the guys at the steel mill, which everything shot in the, st- the mill, which those two words together are so hard for me to say. Steel mill? Steel mill. I have to like think about it. And all of the cinematography in there is pretty, and it's really kind of setting up, I think, the friendship between um, our three main guys and then also kind of their three supporting friends, mm-hmm. including Stan, who's an absolute asshole. I mean, why does John Kazali always play these, or at least in the two films I've seen, these kind of slimy, unlikable characters? He's he does good them so at well. It, yeah, <laughs> no, he does it well. Sad fact: he actually had terminal cancer at the time, so all of his scenes were filmed first. Um, oh, yeah, but uh, he delivers a really, really great performance, um, and this was his last film. Okay, well, I feel bad for being so snarky about his character now no but he's so good at it like he, he plays really the character it. really really well like he's great and he has some very funny uh dialogue later in the movie but it, this whole intro is like setting up the friendship between these two guys uh the idea that this wedding's going to happen i totally called that angela was preggers <laughs> totally called it um i mean i thought they made it pretty obvious ian was like i don't get it and i was like it's very clear. And then later I was like, I fucking knew it. Um, and the tension with Steve's mom not liking Angela. And it's it's really setting up like the relationships and this sort of like hominess, mm-hmm. which I appreciate the idea of because, you know, I always say if you're going to put your characters through hell, you got to make me care about them first. If you're going to try and punch me in the the stomach emotionally, I, I need to to have some emotional investment in these characters, which is what they're trying to do. But I do agree it could have been trimmed. And for me, it's little things like the throwaway car race thing where they try to race the truck next to the wall on the road while they're going to the bar after work. Like I, I, I could see that going somewhere where it's like, okay, Mike, who I think was at the wheel at that time, is like, oh, he's a big risk taker, adrenaline junkie, all that sort of stuff, but didn't go anywhere. And so I just question why that was included at all. Right. But then you get these really beautiful moments, like them all singing Can't Take My Eyes Off of You together in the bar. Mm -hmm. And Mike being the one who's like, like he's smiling at his friends, but he's the only one not like singing. And he's the one who's mm-hmm. like focused on like playing pool. And it really does set him up as like a little bit of an outsider, but also this like focused, analytical, serious person. Mm-hmm. And then contrasting him, of course, with 
Nick, his best friend, who is much more like life of the party, you can tell like loves people kind of thing. And so really setting up, giving us a really good idea of those two characters Mm -hmm. very early on. And I do love that they're a bit of a foil for one another, even though they're like really good friends. And it just, again, heightens the evolution that Nick goes through later on in the film even more. So again, don't want to say that I thought it was bad by any means, but I I would call parts of the the wedding scene plotting. Agreed. Yeah. Like uh, I think we both said like with the ceremony, I could have done without seeing the actual ceremony. It honestly, like it could have started at the reception, like the whole wedding bit could have started at the reception for me because that's where we're really seeing character stuff. Although during the ceremony, we do get some looks between like Nick and Linda and like Linda and Mike. And we're like starting to set up a little bit of our love triangle here. Which, okay, but that's frankly, too subtle. <laughs> okay, the love triangle is actually my favorite part of this entire movie because it was very well done. Oh, for sure. And that's one of the the peak moments in the reception, I think, is where you get this interplay between Nick, Linda dancing, and then Mike cutting in. And I, I don't know, it's just you see like you said, Maggie, the like looks that they're sharing and this weird electricity that you can feel but can't quite put your finger on. It's like, okay, something's going to happen with these three. Well, and also, the oh God, these three actors are also so good because like they all have chemistry with each other. Like there's no clear one person's odd man out kind of deal. Like it's from the like I'm not sitting there from the beginning being like I know which one I which pairing I want and I know which one is going to come in second and I don't care as much about like you kind of like either pairing and you also really like the friendship between Mike and Nick so like you don't want that to get harmed mm-hmm. in any way so I don't the setup on that was really good they leave the love triangle for a really long time during part of this movie. And that was all of my least favorite part of the movie. (laughs) Well, it's fine. I I think there were one other, actually, sorry, two other big sequences in the wedding part of this film that I I did think were really important and functional. Uh, First being in the, the bar at the wedding you clearly see the ghost of christmas future in this veteran who's come to the bar and is pretty sullenly drinking by himself and is getting needled by these three guys like mike and nick and steven who we've already has it has set up our going over to vietnam which i do have some questions about actually because i remember at one point we were talking about the draft and then i was like but they would be considered probably exempt because they work in like a very important industry for mm-hmm. war production. So I don't know if it's like because they're young, so young they weren't exempt, but then why aren't the other three guys also going? So in that case, did they volunteer? In which case, why? Because we don't really get any sort of sense of why. I'd agree they would have decided to go over there. I, Mike's the only one who I could see as potentially like signing up. Like, I feel like Nick would not. Yeah. It's, I, I will say them getting to Vietnam. I don't think it was particularly well motivated in the introduction. It was just kind of accepted as fact. So yeah, I mean, I guess it didn't really need to be, and it was yeah. kind of an afterthought for us. Yeah. Hey, it's, if that's how you got to set it up, that's how you got to set it up. So it's fine. Uh, we went through some very emotionally trying parts later in this movie. And that's my <laughs> defense mechanism is to overanalyze. Eh, there we go. Well, 
we're going to hear you analyzing a lot in this film. Yes, we um, are. <laughs> so the, the other other sequence that I found to be visually arresting and like so heartbreaking because I knew it was going to come. Wait, is... I want to talk more about that veteran scene really quickly. With oh, yeah, the veteran, Because they're like, the guys are asking, they're drunk and they're doing the big bluster like, buy this man a drink. He's a hero. And the soldiers just, he's not like getting bad at them, but he's just very quiet through it all Mm -hmm. and there's a whole bit where he like kind of does a toast and he goes fuck it and one of them asks him what's it like over there and he sits and thinks for a second and then he just goes fuck it there's a moment where mike they're starting to try and pull mike away because they're like you're bugging him too much now but mike says wait fuck who and i thought that was it's like the first hint that like it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. It's going to be so much worse. Yeah. It's not an individual person who is making this experience pure hell. It is the situation itself. Yeah. So, no, I'm, I'm totally, totally with you. And that, that was like a, the first step in, oh, God, what's, what's coming for me? And then the second was after they had all driven off. So Angela and Steven had driven off. Mike and Nick were running. Well, Mike was streaking, um, <laughs> but they end up on the basketball court, both of them sitting on either side of, of the basketball goal Love pole. This scene. It was a good scene. Oh my they God. They were both really, really good. And honestly, the way it was shot with them, again, with really good shadows. Love it was not shadows. black and white, but it was might as well have been. And just having this heart to heart in a way that is like, I don't know, that kind of stereotypical, like, we're tough, but also don't leave me. I actually, this was a very emotional scene between two male best friends, which we don't see very often, particularly in the 70s. Yeah. It's a lot of tough guy narratives. Um, So it was actually really nice to, like, see the two. And and Nick especially is, like, very vulnerable in that moment because they're talking about going hunting the next day because Mike wants to go hunting as, I think, he never says it, but I think it's kind of like a, this is the last normal thing we're all going to do together. Like this is the last thing we can all do together before yeah. some of them might die or assuredly are going to come back very changed. But Mike's talking about how he loves like the actual hunt and like going up into the mountains and participating in the actual hunt. Nick is talking about what he loves about going up into the mountains is the trees and the beauty. Mm-hmm. At that moment, I'm like, well, Nick's fucked. (laughs) And this poor, beautiful soul is going to get trampled. Also, that's where you have the whatever you do, don't leave me over there. To which Ian said, well, somebody's getting left. I mean, the foreshadowing is very heavy handed, but like the actors are so good. It didn't. Oh, the scene was great. It was more just a sense of foreboding than it was me being like, ugh. Now you've told me everything that's going to happen. <laughs> well, and it's it's not like I don't know what's coming down the pipe. So it, it's a very informed prediction, if you will. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, I had actually read a full synopsis of this movie beforehand because I knew that I was going to mentally need to prepare myself. Uh, I'll, I'll tell a story of why I knew that when we get to a particular mm. scene. Okay. Um, but you had not read a full synopsis, right? No, but I knew that they were going to Vietnam, and I knew that he was a a 
pure soul. <laughs> you knew at least one of them wasn't making it back, and you yeah. knew which one it was most likely to be. Exactly. Which, I don't know, the anticipation of that happening, I think, heightened the whole experience for me, at least. So definitely didn't detract from my my watching of the movie. So day after the wedding, for some godforsaken reason, they decide to get up early and drive uh, to the West Coast to go hunting uh, I love from Pennsylvania. Everyone is still in their suits, except for Mike, <laughs> who's in his full hunting gear. <laughs> so again, really well. And I actually really love the costuming in this. But mm-hmm. like, especially here, like just giving those clues to personality as well as like having the very different but also subtle performances from like De Niro and Walken and like the other supporting cast because again like it no one's sitting out there being like Mike you're the grumpy one Nick you're the fun one but it's like the small things that mm-hmm. they do um that really gives you such a strong sense of it yeah and i mean even the not so small things so Uh, they stop for lunch near the hunting cabin and it's clear that uh Kazali's character whose name is Stan thank you forgot his boots and Mike is like I'm not lending you my extra boots we've been through this before thing yeah like you forget your boots every time I'm kind of with Mike on this where it's like you (laughs) knew you were coming hunting this is not new you gotta learn sometime Ian Mike (laughs) made them all go hunting the day after a wedding like no 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 he did not make them do anything they got in the car of their own volition next time time. you ask me to like do something before noon I'm gonna make a huge deal out of it do it and I'll be like did you remember your boots (laughs) i'll be like i'll tell you what you can do with these boots but anyway uh this is the first appearance of stan's pistol it is which why do you even have it stan which which they ask him multiple times i think i think there's there's a scene later uh that i will want to dissect but there's a light in that scene where i think mike is like why do you even have this (laughs) and i loved that but yeah why are you taking your pistol deer hunting like what the he's gonna shoot a deer with it maggie that's how you deer hunt don't you know ian he... no, no no ian you deer hunt one shot yeah this with is a pistol. where this is where <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh um your mic's worst nightmare what was i gonna say no i can't remember what i was gonna say oh i'm so sorry ian. <laughs> um oh this is where we get the whole speech about one shot like you have mm-hmm. to kill a deer with one shot which is material to the story and we will tell you about it later but they did end us with a one shot on a deer and a very jarring scene of that deer going down in the water Ooh, i this that hit me hard (laughs) i was like ooh, the deer is not for for people who know like the deer they don't actually like shoot a deer and film it but they did tranquilize the deer and that deer does not know what's going on no and they get kind of up close on some close-ups and it's it's not i felt very uncomfortable watching it i mean i do think that that was the very short escalation to what i'm going to call vietnam part one in this film so if i'm correct and tell me if i'm wrong this cut to the kind of battle scene in vietnam is the editing that you were not a fan of okay here's the thing Technically, it's good editing because what you have is you have the sound of the helicopters, which I think are a very mm-hmm. like iconic part of Vietnam War films, is the widespread use of helicopters. 
uh, you get the sound of the helicopters, and then it jumps to a battlefield. So technically, I respect it. Story-wise, I hate it. Because <laughs> what by watching these people at home from the beginning and having like the wedding and all of that stuff at the beginning done like linearly and not as Ian actually pitched at one point and which I think would have made this movie a whole lot better done in flashback segments, Mm -hmm. which I think would have, would have helped without that. You basically go from like a 51 minute long, which I just can't say that enough wedding sequence. And then you jump not to them arriving, not to any sort of training, but immediately into like, full on battle, which is fine, except for it is heavily implied that they've already been over there for a while. And that's what I didn't like is because it's this like battle sequence that happens and which frankly, this entire sequence, I don't even really know why it was there as if to be like, suddenly now we're in Vietnam. Like, well, to me, it's, it's supposed to jar you out of that like dilated time space back home at the comfort of this Pennsylvania town. Like I get it, but it, it ratcheted up to like 150 immediately. And I felt like it had nowhere to go after that. Same. Like I, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was like, I had quote unquote earned it. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, these characters are suddenly like it. And like I said, it's not like we got to see them arrive in a quick sequence. Like we didn't get to see them having to face the horrors for the first time. Like, this was clearly something they had seen before. And I felt like we missed a big chunk of character development because of that. And I I, I can see where it, at the time that this came out, you know, it's one of the first movies about Vietnam. It's one of the first that is highly critical about Vietnam. So I can understand, you know, it coming in and being like very just shocking and jarring. And a case could be made for that being like very purposeful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work long term especially if it's a genre you're somewhat familiar with like it just and and the characters to me are what make any story great but particularly like if you're trying to show me that some like an event in history was horrible to me the easiest way to do that is give me characters i care about and make them live through it because that's how you're gonna get me emotionally not by just being like, how violent can we get? Yeah. Well, and and I, I would agree that I we miss the entire arc up to the Russian roulette scene. So they're yes. captured and understandably again, freaking it's so, out. It's so fast, though. Like, we didn't... It happened so fast that, like, I couldn't process. Like, I just... I was, like, sitting there just being like, I've, I've missed something. Yeah. And it's, they're not the same characters and it kind of like puts in some distance or at least did for me in a way that, that kind of ruined the buildup to it. So agreed. But now let's talk about this scene in particular, because it's arguably the most famous scene in the entire movie. Uh, There are multiple Russian roulette scenes, but if somebody says the Russian roulette scene from the deer hunter, this is the one they're talking Mm -hmm. about. I, if you didn't listen to me earlier, when I said this one's going to be rough, this one's going to be so rough. And I actually watched this one together because going into it, I knew it was going to be rough. And I was like, I cannot watch this by myself. (laughs) I need emotional support. And I don't know if you noticed, Ian, but I cried during this scene, not because it was sad, but because I was so emotionally distressed. It is a very distressing scene because not only are our main characters who 
we still do like, even if we don't like them as much as we thought we did. Also, this was the scene, I had actually seen this scene before watching this film by accident. Oh, nice. When I was Out of context is probably Way too worse. young. <laughs> oh, that's how I knew that this movie was going to be really, really emotionally rough. And that's why I looked up a synopsis ahead of time is because I wasn't allowed to watch it as like a child. Like this was one of the ones where I remember, I very distinctly remember this. My mom and dad were like going to watch The Deer Hunter. And my dad was like, I was like, oh, I'll watch it with you. And my dad was like, no, you won't. He, so I got to watch like part of the beginning and then he was like, you should go like read a book or watch something else or like play video games or whatever. And then I went away. I think I was like 12 or 13. And then I came downstairs to get a snack and happened to walk through the living room right as this scene was happening. Great timing. It was not fun. So yeah, we have our main characters captured by the Viet Cong and I, to my knowledge, this was not documented as having actually happened in the From Vietnam War. From what I read, there is absolutely no evidence that this ever happened. Um, it actually, uh, the movie got a lot of flack and criticism for it at the time, for its depiction of the Vietnamese people, which I think is valid. Agreed. They they take this Russian roulette motif from the movie that you mentioned before about something that happened in Vegas, and they, they pretty much put like a Vietnam skin on it. And... I yeah. personally think, well, hold on. We we can't keep talking around the scene. We got to talk about the scene. Yes, you're right. Uh, <laughs> so even if I really don't want to. The, the captors are making their prisoners play Russian roulette for their freedom, but also not really for their freedom. So it's literally the no, like. If you, li- if you live, you get put back underneath and then you're going to play later. Yeah. So extremely abusive. Filmed in a really violent and stark way, which honestly I think is, again, technically masterful, but also very difficult to watch. But yes. it comes down to Steven, Nick, and Mike being like the next up. Well, we have Steven freaking out and John Savage kills the performance here. But this is the bit that like made me cry because he is just absolutely terrified and losing Mm -hmm. it and mike's trying to calm him down this is where we're seeing nick start to break Mm -hmm. and it yeah it comes down to steven and mike are next Mm -hmm. now they built up this tension really really well again kind of mad at him for building it up so well but this last scene is mike and well last part of the scene is mike and nick going against one another well i no we need to talk about mike's speech to steven Mike, like Steven doesn't want to do it. And Mike basically is like, you have to, or you definitely die. Like you have to do it. And it's mm, okay. We're done. I can't, I can't. Sorry. I was going to try and like go more into the performances there, but I like, I I can't do it. It's very well done. Probably worth a watch, but also massive trigger warnings. Like it's really, it's, it is a pivotal scene. Make sure you're very emotionally in an okay place when that happens. Yeah. You watch it. Have a have a support friend with you or a support yes. animal. Or a support champagne. <laughs> we did drink champagne while watching this movie <laughs> because we knew it was going to be really bad. Yeah. So ends up with three bullets in the gun, which is super important when they are doing their last roulette because this is not the first time they're doing roulette there isn't three bullets in the gun at this point 
what happens I'm skipping a lot no but we have to (laughs) it is important though especially to Mike's character and and Nick breaking Steven gets put in like this just water pit is the best way I can describe it it ends up Mike and Nick are like the only two people alive Mm -hmm. and Mike is like, we have to play each other, to which Nick is like, are you fucking crazy? And Mike's like, no, 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 we have to play each other and we need more bullets in the gun because Mike's already forming a plan. Mm -hmm. Typical calm, cool, collected Mike. Yes, like he is the survivor of the group. Um, There is a bit, and here was another part where I was like, I feel like because they didn't really ramp up to this, we missed a lot of character development because there's a bit where Nick is like, well, what about Steven? And Mike's like, he's not going to make it. We got to leave him. And I was like, how did we get to a point where Mike is willing to leave his friend? Like what happened to make this like him say that? Although later I was like, did he just say that to like get Nick to like, don't overanalyze. I don't know, participate? I, okay, <laughs> you're right. You're right. But anyway, Mike is the one who talks them into putting three bullets in the gun. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, there are this many of them up there. And basically, if he and Nick can survive the first three rounds, then they have three chambers of bullets and they can take out the guards and escape, which is what they do. And they do Mm -hmm. get Steven. Like, they do actually rescue him. Yeah. And so they make it out, fortunately. But again, I was definitely on the edge of my seat this entire time. So it's, I'm... The content and especially the way that it depicted the Viet Cong as which I don't want to be a Viet Cong apologist because horrible things were done, but they also didn't force their captives to play Russian roulette. So pick something that actually happened. It Well, it was one of those things, too, where I definitely think that what they did is they took I think that when developing the movie they really wanted to use that script that it was all based off of. And so I think they really were like, well, what can we drop this into that's like going to quote unquote fit artistically, if you get what I mean, whether or not it's true, I don't think it mattered. Um, yeah. Which is, and, and that's like a, a huge criticism of this movie. And then some people argue that like it's it's more of a sim- it's more symbolism than anything. You can't make a movie about a war that happened three years ago and call it symbolic like that. Like you just can't. <laughs> I mean, you can. It happened, but I I don't buy that. I yeah, I'm very yeah. I don't. Mm, it it really does feel like they use the war as more of a backdrop. And this is what I mean when I was like, I feel like I watched two different films. Because all of this stuff, like basically the entire Russian roulette through line, I was like, this feels like a very different film from like all of the relationship stuff and like Mm -hmm. the bits about like, hey, these people are really damaged from a war and like trying to figure out where their place is in society again, which all felt like very grounded and real. Yeah. Whereas all of the stuff that like occurred in, in Vietnam felt very not real yeah like a dream sequence almost like a nightmare sequence well nightmare. yeah you're right nightmare sequence no i'm with you so they make it out there is a very harrowing 
helicopter rescue attempt, which uh, again, De Niro and Savage did their own stunts when they impressed. have to like fall from that helicopter or climb up on that rope bridge. It yeah. Oh, again, the way this was filmed and edited, this is why it was nominated. Like hundred percent. That sort uh, yeah, of agreed. Sequence. Yes, agreed. But it is. I believe it's Nick and Steven who don't get out, or is it Mike? It's Mike and Steven, because Nick was shot in the leg, so they get him in the helicopter first, oh, and okay, he's good, separated good, 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 from them. Steven is very, very badly injured. I'm so happy I just, my gut told me to look away, and I did, and I was like, Ian, how bad is it? And you were like, it's bad. <laughs> it was a, a compound fracture, so Oof, um, no. yeah, don't don't watch it if you're squeamish. Um but ultimately, they do get rescued um, by some allies in a refugee caravan moving moving to the yeah, south. Yeah, they get res- rescued by some South Vietnamese troops. But, well, Mike is rescued too, I guess. But he has to basically kind of leave Steven. Because, like, Steven's, like, loaded into a truck because he's so injured. Actually, I think they tie him onto the hood of a truck because they don't mm-hmm. have space in the truck. Um, and Mike just has to walk. So we've split our three boys up at this point. Yes, they don't which have those sad. bonds of brotherhood, Ian. Well, to carry them through, and you can see things go off the deep end when they're not together. Not that they were not off the deep end already, but anyway, we we get some. It's like the Nick interlude. It is. I I would look, call it that. Stephen basically leaves the picture for now. We get a really brief thing with Mike, but really it focuses on Nick essentially suffering from PTSD and the military hospital, not really understanding what to do with him because this scene, I really appreciated his performance in the hospital. Oh God. Christopher Walken's so good in this. Yeah. From my limited understanding, like Vietnam and like what vets were dealing with, not only while over there, but after they came back and the lack of support, especially mental health support that they got, was like a huge issue and you know unfortunately not at the time always recognized as such a huge issue but mm-hmm. i think it really brought on like a discussion of like how you treat returning veterans and like what sort of support structures like should be in place for them and i mean we we see what happens to nick when it's not there right cuz he he's discharged cuz there's no physical reason for him to be there the doctor's like well, you won't talk. Well, get him out of here. <laughs> but like, he's absolutely breaking down. Mm-hmm. And we do see he has a picture of Linda Meryl Streep's character in his wallet. And it gets to the point where they, they're they like asking him for his name. And there was a hint because these characters are from a Russian-American community mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania. And Russia was supporting the Viet Cong and then the US was supporting the South Vietnamese. Like the whole Vietnam thing was just a proxy war for the Cold War. But the doctor says some asks about like his name and stuff and he he says his last name, which I can't remember what it was and I can't really pronounce it, but he says, um, is is that a Russian name? And Nick goes, No, it's an American name. And so there's like that oh, hint so of the good. like anti Russian American sentiment that I'm sure was pretty prevalent at the time. I mean, mm-hmm. we see it in every every war, every like major conflict that that happens. But I it was the only bit we saw though. Exactly. Another cool aspect that they could have delved into, but kind of just didn't. But Nick breaks down when he can't like they ask him his parents' names. And he like can't say them and he mm-hmm. just breaks down and then they discharge him. And you're like, 
God, this you're like this but man help needs him, help. Please. But help him. But also, I understand that you have a ton of wounded in your hospital, and it's like we we got to get we got to clear the bed. Like, oh, it's it's. But don't that's just a, return him to duty. It's a hard scene. Yeah, and this this next set of sequences is really him going through a figurative like hellscape journey, which again. The backdrop of Vietnam adds a a level of commentary and an unfair representation of a lot that was going on. But I do understand, at least with the character of Nick, what they were trying to, quote unquote, put him through as he kind of makes his transition into the total roulette hound that he will become, which... I This is probably far too generous a reading. I like to view it as like, it's more like we're watching him feel like he doesn't have a lifeline and not know it and like he doesn't know what to do with himself because he can't bring himself to call linda Mm -hmm. mike's not there who i feel like mike was kind of the anchoring force for that friend group 100 percent. so we we saw the event that broke him we're now seeing him realize he's a broken man and not have someone there to like help him recover yeah and as you mentioned he couldn't call linda he manages stumbling around the the streets of Saigon. He ends up visiting a brothel, which I thought that this scene and the way that it ended was really, really interesting for the character of Nick. Definitely, again, cannot say this enough, super exploitative depiction of the Vietnamese women in this establishment, especially they th- had a kid in there. I, and I'm I like, think you put it Ugh. really well when you were like, I'm sure this happened. And, and I'm sure it has happened in every war zone ever, and it happens in not war zones, but it felt exploitative. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's like him being in the brothel, brothel purely serves to further his story. And like, in my opinion, he leaves that being like, oh, wow, I have like no human connection anymore. Like not even the most base of human connection. But again, they didn't have to do the Vietnamese people so dirty to get us there. I I feel like I feel like you're right that that was the intention, but you could have good intentions and not pull them off well. And yeah, it it was it felt very voyeuristic and exploitative, Mm -hmm. and I did not like it. Agreed. Again, technically, really good scene, really good lighting, but the I just disagree with the the premise. So he kind of stumbles out of the brothel, finds he meets his random French dude. Yeah, Julian is his name. I just remember as this scene was happening, you and I just both being like, who is this man? Why is he here? Why and does he have I knew there was nice French car? involvement, like from the Imperial oh. era, like in this area. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm but, sure. Why? Because Vietnam had been a French mm-hmm. colony. Yeah, I'm sure that's like, but. When I say, why is this man here? I mean, just like, he just appears and he's just mm-hmm. there. And he's like, I'm super into gambling in like a really gross way. Yeah, because we get a picture of all of the roulette victims with their characteristic red headband. So again, all of a sudden, Nick has just stumbled into this like gritty underworld of uh, Saigon roulette circles. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Like this, this whole premise, I just can't it's get on board very, with. Very, very weird and gross, and I don't like it. Not here for it. But Julian is like the devil on the shoulder that basically takes him away. And the scene that sticks with me that just kills me 
is Mike running after the car with Nick because and Julian? Because why in it. was Mike there? Well, Mike just saw him and was following. It's it's fine. Mike's do, trying to do the right thing. Oh, I thought was I thought Mike. I may have looked away because I was like, oh god, there's more roulette. So I my what I saw in those scenes is very spotty. Oh no, it, um, it made sense why Mike was there. Don't worry. Okay, okay, cool. Because in my head, Nick goes in there, freaks the fuck out because of PTSD. But also, mm-hmm. I guess the the thing is that like maybe he's dead inside, and that's the only way he feels alive now. Correct. I don't know. At least that's my take on it. That's that's how I'm gonna s- assume. But then I just remember like looking up and just seeing Mike in the crowd, and then him running after Nick, and I was like, "Why is Mike here?" It's it's fine. But the he scene seems where... too grounded for this shit. <laughs> I mean, he is too grounded for this shit. Let's be real. But it makes sense. It makes sense if he saw Nick and followed Nick in. Okay. Yeah. That's how it went down. Don't worry. Okay, cool. But the scene that sticks with me is Nick throwing the wad of cash up in the air as he drives away in Julian's convertible. Like, that is the ultimate visual representation of fuck it that we got in act one at the wedding. So I, I uh, it's infuriating because, again, the way that we circled back to that is great. I just do not like how we got there. Yeah. That's a lot of this movie is I'm like, the way they circled back was good, but I also just really don't. It's, it's how we got like the circling back was okay. It's how we got there the first time. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I appreciate the theme coming back is what I'm trying to say, but again, how we got there. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about what is, I think the absolute best part of the film. You mean uh, Mike's homecoming and Mike's blooming relationship with Linda? Yes. And I, this is really where I think your idea of the flashbacks, I was like, yes. Because you honestly could have started the film with that homecoming mm-hmm. ride in the cab where Mike is in the cab and you see like the banners all just being like, welcome home, Mike, as everyone, you get kind of snippets into what was his and Nick's little house where mm-hmm. Linda moved in because her father was abusive when they like went overseas of people like, but you get little vignettes of people like preparing for him to come back and they're all excited. And then you have Mike in this taxi cab who sees the banners and is like immediately hunching down in the seat and is like, no, 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 keep going. That's not it. Because he doesn't want to and doesn't know how to face that Mm -hmm. after everything he's seen and gone through and like he doesn't know what became of nick he doesn't know what became of steven like you could have started the film with that it's a great scene de niro's flawless in it and then you could have just as his relationship with linda evolves you could have flashbacks to like the wedding and like the stuff like if you wanted to keep Mm -hmm. the disturbing Russian roulette plotline, like flashbacks to those bits to explain like why Mike feels the way he does and why this is so hard for him and so hard for Linda. And then we get to focus on the story of these two people who are like trying to figure out how to process the loss of someone that they both love while Mm -hmm. also recognizing their feelings for each other. And like, that was that was a movie I wanted to see and that would have just emotionally pummeled me, but like in a good way. <laughs> no, I, I would agree that that would be a more compelling, I guess, storyline focus on, but not my movie. None of these are our movies. Either. I, I mean, let's be honest here. Am I ever going to have a movie? Probably not. So <laughs> I am at peace with this. Anyway, it, it's they hit the like reintegration struggles very 
quickly. And so, again, like you said, Maggie, he goes to a hotel to avoid interacting with this group of people, which I can kind of commiserate with that, maybe not on the same like emotional level, but I understand not wanting to interact with groups of people when you're in... eaten when COVID's over. Oh God. No, I will totally interact with people when COVID's <laughs> over. I'm so ready for this. <laughs> but I, yeah, that he has to go to a hotel and I think it's that he, it's, it's a dual thing, right? Him being alone in the house with Linda, the woman who he loves, who was in love and kind of almost sort of engaged to his best friend, mm-hmm. but also going into the house where he lived with his best friend who he last saw in like a super disturbing circumstance. And then his friend just rode off and he has no idea what became of him. And is also probably struggling with the guilt of Nick being like, whatever you do, promise me you won't leave me over there. And he left him over there. But anyway, and De Niro is just flawless during all those scenes. And there's several scenes of him just like sitting clearly in emotional turmoil in his hotel room. And they're so, so incredibly well acted. Well, and the way that he's like slides down the wall and sits in kind of a fetal position that first night, like it's so clear that he is going through deep shit emotionally. So I, he's, he's great. This is the part of the movie that won at the Oscar to me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But his interactions with Linda the next day too are just so real or at least feel so real as much as I can say that <laughs> i guess well and he's obviously not told her anything mm-hmm. about when he actually last saw nick you can tell that she's also so happy he's there but also processing that like nick isn't but she's like taking him around and everyone's just fawning over him and like talking about him being a hero and you can tell he's uncomfortable with it mm-hmm. but he still wears his dress uniform around so i yeah i don't I mean, I guess it's to maybe visually show how apart he is from all mm-hmm. of them. I don't know. But there's one scene in particular that, oh my God, my heart melted. And that is, at, Linda works in like a convenience store. Mm-hmm. And he comes by one day to like see her. And her coworker's like, oh yeah, she's in the back doing inventory. And he walks back there and she's like sitting on the floor with like the stamp to stamp boxes, even though I don't know what that stamp is for, but she's just crying. And Mike is concerned, but she's, she's trying to put on a brave face for him. And she's like, I just, I don't like, I don't know why, like, it's fine. I'll be fine. Like, just like, go, you have stuff to do. And it's, it's this. It's such a real interaction Mm -hmm. and they both are so good at it and like their chemistry is amazing. And then to top it all off, he's in the car waiting for her after work. Yes. It's just. It's not what I expected from Mike at all. Like he is a surprisingly big softie when it comes to Linda, but I'm here for it. Even even like Nick and Steven too. He gives them a little bit more tough love, but like. There's some stuff he does for them as well. And like the friends who didn't go over to Vietnam, they say something about Steven being back and Mike didn't know he was back. And he's like, well, they're like, well, Angela won't tell us where he is, which you're like something bad happened to Steven. You're like, he was badly injured. Yeah. And so Mike like goes over to talk to Angela and I wasn't super, I was kind of in on how they had the whole Angela scene breakdown it was unrealistically melodramatic in my mind but 
I d- also don't necessarily know what I'm talking about. Like I've also never been through something like that. Right. So I can't really speak to it. But she is like bedridden, can't even like talk. Catatonic. Like, yes. Like has to awake, write but... the phone number to him um, for where Steven is. And and my question there was like, is this something that like recently happened? And so maybe she's still in like the early grieving process. I don't know. Like you said, to me, it seemed a little melodramatic and hysterical woman-esque, but yeah. I have also never been through anything like that, so I cannot say how I would react. Mm-hmm. But I will say your your point about liking to think most humans are more resilient than that, I I think as a general rule, believe. But that scene served its purpose, and we know that Mike knows where to find Steven. And so. he calls Steven, and that's where we discover that he is in um, a VA hospital, both of his, he lost both of his legs and the use of one of his arms. I think it seemed like he'd lost the use of one of the arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's in a power wheelchair. Yeah, and he's trying to be like super extra chipper for Mike, but Mike's kind of seeing through it. Yeah, well, and I, I think it's very clear that Stephen is putting on a front because again, he is the way he talks about being in the hospital and how it's like a resort. And I mean, they even show them playing bingo at the beginning, so like. It's his view of things is, I don't know, very distorted. And also part of me thinks he's trying to, quote unquote, save Angela from himself, which I, yeah, I have because they, on that. they do a step. Well, they establish very early on that he does really, really care for Angela and that also uh, the kid is not his and he doesn't care. So I, I do think that it's that. And I think it's also him worrying about like he even says it later when Mike actually goes to get like and gets him from the mm-hmm. hospital. It's like, you need to go home. You have a wife, you have a kid. Like we want you there. And Steven's like, I don't belong there anymore. And I, I, Oh, that's heartbreaking. That that's, it's heartbreaking, but I'm like, I'm sure it's a thing that people deal with. And then, I mean, well acted on both sides, both those mm-hmm. scenes are heartbreaking, but they're very well done. Totally agree. We do get the nice little reveal of the hundreds and hundreds of dollars that uh, Stephen just has in his bedside table, which questions, but the the two and two have been put together and it means Nick is still alive. At least that's how Mike takes it. So yeah. we'll just leave that little Easter egg for in a minute. Yeah. But Mike and Linda's relationship progresses. There's the one bit where we were like, did he just leave her in the hotel room? I'm so glad he didn't. He just fell asleep, which was so sweet. And yes. this is what I love about their their scenes together, even when it's like, okay, let's go to bed together. It's one, very matter of fact, and two, it's got this kind of emotional tinge to it that it's like very clear they're relying on each other for support, and it's not it's, like lascivious in any way. It's matter of fact, but still very sweet. Yeah. But yeah, basically there's a scene where like Linda's like, shouldn't we go to bed? Meaning like, shouldn't we go sleep together? And Mike's like, no. And so they, but I think it's because he doesn't want to sleep with her in the house that was like also Nick's house. And so they go to the hotel room and like Linda's coming out of the shower. And then we, you hear a car engine and Ian and I were like, did he just leave her? But he didn't, he had just fallen asleep. But the, the car engine made you for a second be like, what the fuck? I thought he had just run back to Vietnam. Literally that is what went through my head in that scene. But he didn't fortunately. Thankfully he didn't, because like I think that would have that would have made me be like, just I'm done with this movie. Yeah. If like the the plot line I liked was just like fucked over. For sure. One last really interesting and engaging scene in this is the second deer hunting sequence. 
So not only is it, again, super gorgeous, they filmed it like Mountain Baker area out in Washington State, super, super pretty. Also not in Pennsylvania, but we'll leave that. Ian had a really hard time because the big parts of the beginning, like the non-deer hunting scenes are clearly shot on location in mm-hmm. like Pennsylvania. And Ian then just got really upset when not everything was shot in Pennsylvania. Okay. And I had to explain to him how movies work. Oh my God. You do not get mountains like that <laughs> on the East Coast. Ian, no one gives a Man, shit. <laughs> I give a shit. Anyway, that is beside the point. So over a, a long period, Mike is tracking this deer. And that to me was in pretty stark contrast to the first deer hunting sequence where it happened pretty quickly. So it's clear that he is, you know, going through this slog. I take it to be the universe trying to tell him something is what it is. And he he ends up not even being able to shoot the deer. Yeah. Um, and kind of the it's way that the... they filmed the buck winning, I thought was kind of cool with the like sunlight and everything, maybe a tad overdone, but I was, it's the I was visualization okay with it. of his character evolution. Yeah. That's the symbol right there. Also, we get a whole bit with Stan. Stan's an angry man. And has a He's gun. He's angry, and he has a gun. And one of the other friends, I can't even remember what they say to him. They, like, make fun of him for something. And he starts, like, waving the gun in the guy's face and is like, I'll shoot you. Mike comes in, sees one of his friends pointing a revolver at his other friend, and flips his shit. Like one should wrenches the gun out of the guy's hand the guy's like it's or stands like it's not even loaded to which michael shoots it in the air turns out it is loaded but he puts in like the one bullet and is basically like um because i think stands like i was just playing or something he's like oh you want to play okay well what about this and basically like loses his shit and this is i think where he does the like why do you even have this Uh (laughs) uh-huh and like stalks out of the cabin and just throws the gun away into the woods and well after pulling the trigger while it was up against Stan's I, head. Did he pull the trigger? He I thought he did. didn't. He did. Shit. Yeah. And then he chucks the gun away. So anyway, I this particular scene, I think, is a perfect tipping off point for him going back to Vietnam to try and get Nick. I would agree. And I... God, they're also good in that scene. But De Niro and uh, Kazali especially are... Oof, they're so good in that. There is a funny bit on the way up to the cabin, though, where they get out and Stan's like, did they? Stan's also like drunk this whole time, but he's like, wait, is this the place? Did they change it? Like, I don't know how, but somehow they changed it. I think that might have been the first time around, but still some really good buddy comedy like moments when they're traveling up to deer hunt. So yeah, we're back in Saigon now, and it is during the fall of Saigon, which is totally incidental to what happens. Why did it have to be during the fall of Saigon? Also, like I'm calling bullshit on the fact that he was able to get back in during the fall of Saigon. I mean, we've been watching a documentary this whole time, so big issue right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm says totally the person with you. who was pissed that like the deer hunting mountains; those are Washington mountains and not Pennsylvania mountains. <laughs> I'm allowed to be a hypocrite sometimes. <laughs> I, I will call you out on it every time. But no, I'm, I'm totally with you here. Like this definitely something that was in the mind of the public at the time, but also is so needlessly voyeuristic. I don't know if it was to like 
add an element of chaos, but I feel like you didn't need more chaos. Like there was plenty of chaos the first time around. Like it's a big city. There's chaos. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, everybody else is... This is the bit where I was like, the scenes in Pittsburgh and the people in Pittsburgh feel real. Vietnam feels like a fantasy. Like, they feel like two different genres, almost. Because, like, it just feels so over-the-top and unrealistic. There's a whole bit where they're punting down a river or a canal. I don't, I don't know. I've never been to Saigon, so I don't know what the geography is like. Mm-hmm. But they're punting down something. It's him and the French guy who he just like finds and waylays in like what he remembered was the Russian roulette club, which I'm like, I'm sorry, but any club like that has to mix up their locations and it's not just going to be where it was the last time. But anyway, they get to a place where you have all of these like, there's like a room of guys in suits who are clearly the like the people bankrolling this sick enterprise, and then it you've was got sort of like how they took the Russian roulette and put a Vietnamese skin on it. They did the same thing with the mob in the scene. In my mind, it was just like a complete mob trope that they just set in Saigon. Yeah, and I, you and I were both like, "There's absolute chaos happening." Like, like Saigon's about to fall, and they're just like chilling, being gross. I like I because I I was like your money's probably not going to protect you in this case, like almost certainly not going to protect you in this case. Yeah, none of those people, if they were really as powerful as we're made to believe, would still be in that city. Yeah, I just yeah. Anyway, I didn't like the setup. I didn't like the things that happened because also flaw in Mike's plan here. Mike is like let me play the American, which he assumes is still Nick. And I'm like, I'm going to, oh, I guess he had the French, I guess he had the French asshole with him. So he knows it's Nick. Okay. Cause oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, what yeah, if yeah. it wasn't Nick? <laughs> what if you got yourself in a horrible situation and we're like, oh shit, wrong American. Um, But anyway. Main focus here though, Walken's performance. So we, Walken's great. We see and him. And Hero's also great. And he is like stony faced acts like he does not know De Niro and I believe him like I believe him too but Jesus. also also no we're gonna I this scene was really disturbing and we're gonna analyze the fuck out of it <laughs> and I'm gonna be mad about it because that's what I do instead of being sad about it so Mike's like I'm gonna play the American so they're like sure because he gives them like a shit ton of money then he sits down to play also would like to point out <laughs> the rules God, I, every time I have to talk about this, I feel skeeved out. But the rules of Russian roulette in this movie are very inconsistent. Yeah, sometimes there are three bullets. Sometimes there are one bullet. Sometimes this person resets it between the shots. Sometimes they sometimes it's, you don't. Yeah. Like, yeah, it depends on what they need narratively, I guess. But they, it seem we get the impression from like what they show in this scene slash what Ian told me they showed in this scene because I had my eyes covered. It seems like they like the two people play until one of them dies and like people are betting on it. Mike, how does this help you? Either Nick dies or you die and it doesn't help with the Nick situation no, 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 and no, no, now no. Linda's having to mourn somebody else. There is a third option. This overwhelming gesture snaps Nick out of it cuz that's how that works. I don't think so. And then you also have angry mobs surrounding you about their cash. And clearly these people have no compunction about violence, Ian. Correct. 
No, I'm with you. The the internal logic of saying, let me play roulette to convince you to not play roulette just does not hold water. Thank you. Okay. No, you're you're 100% right. I was just very concerned about Linda this whole time, too. I was like, do not put her through this again. But the the final scene with Nick here, super tense. And we get this line where Nick quotes the one shot back at him. And and he's talking about, like, remember you missed the trees. He's, like, trying to snap him out of it, even though, like, logically this plan was not the most sound. I think he should have snuck up behind Nick whacked him over the head, knocked him out, and dragged him onto a plane back home. I mean, I would take the kidnapping option in this case. Yeah. I mean, also, technically, he's a war deserter, so maybe the military wants him back. Oh, yeah, he is AWOL. I forgot. They, like, talk about him being AWOL. Yeah. So, uh, not shot through. Emotionally powerful scene. Kind of mad that it happened. Definitely graphic. But, unfortunately, Nick passes away. I'm really glad that I had read the end and knew what was happening because I just, my little heart couldn't take it at that point. And not so much because I was super emotionally invested, but more so just because it was very, it was twisted. It, yes, I would agree. And I was emotionally compromised at that point. But we get a really good cut good is not i mean the tech again technically great but we cut to nick's funeral at the same church which again Angela feels like married. an entirely different movie it does it was it like, was quite jarring like i don't know how to describe it so much like it because like linearly you're like no that would make sense plot wise but if you watch it it does feel like you are watching two different movies and again it might be to emphasize the difference in the two places and heighten kind of the effect of the craziness that happened in this film's depiction of Vietnam. But I I definitely prefer something a little more cohesive from that aspect. Yeah. But anyway, it cuts to Nick's funeral. Um, We see Steven there, which I I did like that they didn't harp on this, but they show you that Steven is there. And like, yes, people are having to help him, but that like he has come home. And I, I I liked knowing that and knowing that like I'm sure it's not an easy road, but like Steven is doing better and is surrounded by people yes. who love him. So important. So important. But the final scene is in this bar that they have been going to. It it almost feels a little bit like a club. That I think they're it's members owned, of, I think it's but, owned by one of the friends. Okay, that would make a lot of sense. But It's clear they're, you know, pouring some coffee, doing the mundane things that you do after a funeral because you do it because you need to eat. So the realism there loved. So your point about the the Pennsylvania scenes being why it won its Oscar, like this scene for its just like everyday normality, I think. And even the bit where like the friend who owns the bar is like, I'll go cook the eggs. And Linda's like, oh, I'll go help you. He's like, no, no, no. Like that exchange. Pour the coffee. And then. Yeah, pour the coffee, and then it's so that he can go back, and as he's cooking the eggs, he breaks down. Oh, like, that was so touching and, like, Mm -hmm. so real. And then... They ruin it. I understand why this choice was made at the time, and I think it would have a lot more impact at the time. I actually asked my dad about this. I was like, did you see this in theaters? And he said, yes, even though I was like, you weren't that old, right? And he was like, probably shouldn't have seen it in theaters. I was like, cool. (laughs) 
But the friend who's cooking and crying starts to sing, God bless America. And as he brings the food out to the table, everybody else joins in and just kind of a very dead way of singing it. And I understand why they did this. It's supposed to be a critique of America and the, Mm -hmm. well, the government and the involvement in the war and kind of like a condemnation of like, you let this fucked up thing happened. And I understand that, but I think it would have aged better. And I think it would have actually packed a bigger emotional punch and therefore made that message stronger if instead of singing God Bless America, they had sung Can't Take My Eyes Off You. Because that is the song that they were singing in the bar when they were friends and all together and having fun. It crops up again at the wedding. Like, Mm -hmm. that is their friend song. And I think if they had sung that instead, I would have been sitting there bawling at the end of the movie. It, I, yeah, completely agree. You were upset. I'm actually glad we took a couple days between recording and watching because you were very upset at the end of the film. But like not like good upset. It. I don't know. The way I look at it is this this film put me through a lot. And half of it paid out. Yeah, I'd agree. The half of it that paid out paid out well. But I just I don't know if it was worth the other part. Yeah, I just. Well, and and the thing too, I I don't know was yeah. I'm I'm very I'm just disappointed the film. I'm not angry at the film anymore. I'm just disappointed at the film. It's almost worse. Yeah. So I guess lists. I I do struggle with this one because there are aspects to it that, with so many films that we've watched, are are really good. But some major points that I'm I'm less on board with now. Maybe less so than Annie Hall, so I'm definitely putting it higher than that. But I slotted The Deer Hunter uh, between uh, at number 26 between The Best Years of Our Lives, uh, which is ahead of it, and The Godfather, which is after it. So I think in terms of my comparison to The Godfather, I engaged a lot more with these characters despite having that kind of middle piece in Vietnam being much less impactful for me. And I think, honestly, the way that they showed the character arcs were much more masterful than what I was seeing in The Godfather. Um, In terms of kind of the cinematography and the editing as well, like parts of them I could see as being similar. So for me, it's kind of a toss up there, but I I think the sound in particular, they did a much better job with in The Deer Hunter. Like maybe the material was lent itself to it more, but hey, liked it more. Now on the flip side of that, I think Best Years of Our Lives is like a, a fairly good comparison in terms of the themes that it dealt with, especially around uh, veterans reintegrating into their communities that they come back to. But I think best years of our lives just flat out did it better. Like we were more focused on the characters. We didn't have as much of the kind of, um, I would say gratuitous like war scenes that kind of cheapened the character development in my mind. So I, it was just so, so much better done in that regard. So yeah, it's my new 26. 
Cool. Mine's actually going to be a little bit lower than yours. Um, even though after last episode, I was like, oh, I need to update my list with like a couple movies that I forgot to add on there. <laughs> Guess who didn't Maggie. do that this time? <laughs> um, I can still give you the, the general area. So at, at most, this would be off by like two places. Um, but I think uh, it, would, it wouldn't be off by much. Um, I'm putting it above The Godfather, right above The Godfather as well. So it'd be around my number 30. And I agree with everything that you said about The Godfather. I I think this was just a better movie. I think the characters were better. It kept my attention more. Yeah. Even if I didn't always want to give it my attention <laughs> during those more gruesome scenes. Um, I'm actually putting it after Annie Hall because I did enjoy Annie Hall more. And part of that is probably because I was able to actually physically keep my eyes on the screen the entire time mm-hmm. and not having to bury them in a glass of champagne at any point. Well, um, and in all fairness, I think I might have punished Annie Hall a little bit too much. So it's fine. We'll, we'll do another list reorder at some point. But yeah, and and my thing with Annie Hall was like, technically it was brilliant. It was well-written, both the words. Like I thought the editing was well done even though it was non-linear, it felt more cohesive as far as like the timeline and what we were shown than the deer hunter did. Mm-hmm. I think like I said in the episode, Annie Hall just had one flaw, but it was like a big flaw. Um, and while I did not like the main character and I found that he didn't have a character arc, I did get a very strong sense of the main character. Mm-hmm. And there were some more minor characters in the deer hunter that I felt like they almost some of those characters could have been cut or combined. Yeah. And I felt like sometimes they were dealing with a little bit too big of a cast. So yeah, it's going to be around my, my number 30. Nice. So overall, I, I I do think again, there's some value in, in watching it. It's a tough watch. Bad film. Yes. And even the parts that Ian and I are like, that was really hard to watch. Like they're well shot, like, and they're not necessarily bad parts of a film they're just really really hard to watch and i don't think live up to the standard set by like the whole section of like mike coming home and his relationship with linda like i felt like that it was like a reverse mutiny of the bounty Mm. remember how mutiny of the bounty we were like there's really three segments to it and the first third is absolutely amazing and some of the best film i've ever seen mm-hmm. like performances acting cinematography etc the middle bit sucks and then the last <laughs> third comes back a little bit yeah deer hunter was kind of like the inverse mutiny of the bounty for me where like the first third is okay the second third sucks but for different but also similar reasons mm-hmm. And then the last third was great and like really, really, really good. So I, yeah, that always makes it tough to like, we were like, where do I slot it in because of that? So (laughs) I don't think it was bad. I am very hesitant to recommend this to people because it was very hard mentally and emotionally to watch. Yeah. I mean, I, I will recommend it with that caveat. So watch at your own risk, but know what you're getting into. Exactly. So Thank you for, uh, you know, listening us overanalyze parts of The Deer Hunter. <laughs> it's a defense mechanism. Yeah, what can it's I fine. say? It's so fine. Um, but in the meantime, um, would love to hear from y'all discuss, well, maybe parts of The Deer Hunter we'd love to discuss more than other parts. But um, if you have any any comments, stuff like that, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at 
best pictures pod or if there's something a little bit more long form uh we have our email at best pictures podcast at gmail.com yeah and join us next oh rate subscribe review all that good stuff um and then join us next time where we will be doing kramer versus kramer which is our last 70s film and then we'll be into the 80s oh my goodness we've come so far (laughs) we really have we have thanks for listening